Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Mandy. And this is Love Sober. The podcast for the sober and sober curious. Hi, and welcome back to Love Sober, the podcast for the sober and sober curious. And today it's it's myself and I'm welcoming back such a special guest. She's one of my, I think, even though we've never met, you must be one of my favourite human beings on the planet. <laughs> oh, thank and you so much. I feel like we've met because we've met over video so much, right? I know. It's really weird. I better introduce you. Right? <laughs> everyone's like, who is this amazing person? Right. So it's Bex Weller. And um we've had Bex on before, way back at the beginning, I think back on episode 29. And we are about episode, it's about 150 now. So wow. two years later. Mandy and I go oh still bloody going on but with Spark that's the thing with sobriety right it's like we were talking just before we you know before I hit record and it was like you said the peel peeling the layers of the onion it gets more and more interesting doesn't it yes it sure does yeah yeah so I'm so delighted to speak to Bex Bex has got a new book out Bex is an author she's a coach she's a speaker she founded the amazing sexy sobriety um uh, website co- uh, course she coaches women all around you know the sort of the reality but the positivity and wonderful sort of joy that can be had in in sobriety and I know she's just played a massive part in my in my sober journey and she's got a new book out and this is fantastic this is called chameleon I'm going to hold it up because we are videoing this so I've got chameleon here oh. I love that cover <laughs> it's beautiful but so I'm really, really wanting to dive in with you, Bex, to this kind of subject, which we just know is so fundamental for so many people within sobriety, why we drank, what we discovered when we got sober. Um, this kind of, yeah, people pleasing, not being ourselves, authenticity, boundaries, all of that really juicy, nitty gritty stuff. And I just... I want to dive into it with you. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait. Gosh, yes, there's so much to unpack about this topic, right? Yeah, yeah. We'll start with how are you? Let's start there. An easy question. (laughs) How are you today? I'm well, thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me here. I'm super excited to talk to you again. Yeah, no, that's not all. And I'm, uh, we're at different ends of the day, aren't we? Because it must be quite late for you. Yeah, it's just after 5 p.m. on in WA. Oh, okay. So not not too late. I was thinking, yeah, sort of 12 hours, but we're not really, are we? So it's morning for me. It's late afternoon for Bex. By the gods of, you know, tech, we're able to speak, which is (laughs) fabulous. So, okay, so Chameleon, um, for people that don't don't know you, um, just give us a little brief, can you, a brief synopsis of, of how you kind of got here. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So it was seven and a half years ago. Um, It was actually eight years ago that I I was in the corporate world. I'd been studying to be a health coach with no intention of actually becoming a health coach, but I just thought that it would be quite interesting to share healthy recipes on my little food blog that I had at the time. And lo and behold, I decided I got the idea into my head that I would become a health coach. So I launched into this and you know, I was about six months into this crazy journey of entrepreneurship when 
I realized that my drinking that had always been problematic, it had always been a binge drinking type pattern. And when I was in the corporate world, there were lots of reasons, I thought, to drink a lot, which was, you know, stressful month ends and never ending uh, functions and events that were happening. And I realized when I stopped working in the corporate world that that didn't magically go away. It wasn't just because I was in the corporate world that, that I had these drinking patterns. It was because I leaned on alcohol for all sorts of emotions. And I know that, you know, we can we can all relate when we start to realize that it's not just that alcohol we believed was fun or, or the portal to fun, but also it very much was a way to alleviate different emotions that I didn't want to deal with. And the thing about starting a new business is there's a lot of new emotions. <laughs> And I sure. found, yeah, and I found myself um, couch drinking more. I I call it sort of drinking on the couch at night to alleviate some anxiety. And I was six months into this life change when I sat down with one of my beautiful clients and I talked to her over Skype, and I, she said, um, "You know, when I." feel lonely i drink more and i said well that's okay and i was just horrified when i said it. it was just one of those moments of clarity where i was like what am i doing i want to embark on this new journey i need to sort out this drinking problem and so i embarked on this sobriety experiment because i wasn't sure that i could do it so i was like what if i just try a time period and see what happens and what happened was I felt more free and more peaceful and more healthy and happy than I ever could remember. And so I kept that journey going to now seven and a half so years sober. <laughs> Yay, I can't believe it. Seven, when we're talking, weren't we? Seven and a half years and yeah. and how, um, and you were saying, gosh, can you remember back to how difficult it was mm. in the early days? Um, and we were just having a bit of a chat about that, weren't we? And um, gosh, yes yeah and what even the, the idea of like seven weeks it just that mm. terrified me i was absolutely yeah. gobsmacked at the even the the concept of that and you know i'd done 10 days before but never longer than that and so even getting to that point was just mind-boggling so it it gets um easier with time and practice as you know any skill does with repetition it becomes easier with time but also like you were saying before it becomes more interesting and i'm quite i'm quite uh, fascinated by that like how how many facets there are to the human beings yeah. and and what sort of underlies our different behaviors and emotions mm. yeah for sure you know it's really interesting because oh, this is a slight tangent but I'm always fascinated because I, I do uh, yoga and I've had a, a yoga. I mean, my, interestingly, the yoga started to really make sense to me once I was doing it sober. And I'm always amazed by yoga gives you whatever you need at the time. I always thought that, oh, you went to yoga to chill out. But actually, if you do some kind of class and you need to get some a bit of fight on or you need to relieve some stress, yoga can do that. You can really get some shit out excuse my French um and it seems to balance you up and I was thinking that about sobriety as well it seems to just be that you know I know those early days are so 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 tough you know and then putting one foot in front of the other and, and building some of the building blocks that, that we need to support that's not to belittle that at all but it's almost like sobriety gives you what you need it's just mm -hmm whatever right. it's like that clearing that space for then you to show up in your life and then sort out whatever occurs 
Yes, the underlying issues. Exactly. It allows mm. that space for it. You know, I often thought, oh, once I figure out my underlying issues, then the drinking will fall away. But it, it was the reverse. It was yes. only when I stopped drinking, then I had the space and the capacity yes. to heal the other things. Mm, so true. And even when I went, after I did a year sober, I had in my head, it was like, right, I've sorted out the issues. So now I'll be fine to drink again. So that's another thing. And it's like, no, yes. no, it doesn't work like that. You basically have to go, you know, look, the good news and the bad news is the boost just has to go. That's it. And then it all gets <laughs> yeah. a lot better. Let's just stick with that. Keep it simple. Exactly. Um, that's what, you know, I always thought about, you know, if we, if we don't need the alcohol, then why do I need it? Because, you know, whenever that of the beast in my head, I call it or the wine, which whenever that would pipe up and sort of say, oh, well, you've proven that you don't need to have alcohol. So you can just go back to drinking. And then I was like, well, hang on, if I don't need it, then what do I need it for? Yeah. You know, it's just this constant evolution of like learning more about ourselves and feeling more comfortable with ourselves I think you know they they talk about it being a disease like you, a, a dis-ease you're not at yeah. ease with your with yourself and this is why we sort of need this to numb out or to to feel like we need it to fit in with others and once you start to feel more relaxed with yourself you you know it's it's not that you you don't need it basically yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, but it is so interesting how that voice can pop up. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, I see people on sober forums um, and they fit. And, and for myself as well, I remember going to Paris actually a few years back and I was really disheartened because the wine witch popped up and I suddenly had that kind of, oh man, I'm in Paris. Like people around me, you know, and smoking and drinking red wine, at, you know, in the morning. <laughs> and like I mean that would actually be really rank wouldn't it that would really be yeah. horrible but <laughs> I suddenly bad, had yeah. that like oh you know and it was like this like this morning just for a, a, not very long before I you know my brain came back on board and I could challenge that and when I get got back I remember posting on sober Easter's at the time and just saying feeling like that was a bit of a failure why am I still feeling that like that two years in and my other really beautiful friend she's in Australia actually um said no no that's not that's just the mind that doesn't mean it, it, it's not it doesn't mean anything the fact is you, do, you didn't drink so it doesn't it don't make it mean anything it's just mm -hmm. they come and they go Exactly. Don't, don't have to attach a narrative to it just no that's right just be thought and like a you know I always think about stopping drinking as as ending a relationship in a way and mm. so like if you think about sometimes your exes will pop into your head and maybe you sort of feel a bit nostalgic for the time that you had with them before your logic kicks in and it's like yeah. these are the reasons that that wasn't a great relationship you know <laughs> so just like that and it's not doesn't mean yeah. you want to be back with them but you just you were with them for a period of time and they had an impact on you yeah I love that and you know what one of the reasons why I love your work I loved sexy sobriety when I did it I loved uh, a happier hour I read I read your first book and it was so because you're so relatable and you can you make sense of things like that and I can get very esoteric and start talking in some very strange language and I love the fact that you bring it back to that relatability um and with that in mind, I want to I segue into Chameleon because it's so relatable and something that I think a lot of our listeners, the majority of our listeners are, are women. Um, 
And I think that it is such a big piece. This is a big piece for all of us, but very much for for us ladies. So mm-hmm. can you tell me like what, um, you know, yeah, tell, tell me about why you wrote it. Why did you write Chameleon? I suppose I wrote it because when I first stopped drinking, I didn't realise that I had this people-pleasing issue. I think what had happened when I was drinking is that I would say yes to things and then I would feel anxious about them because I didn't really want to go to them or I would feel resentful because I I said yes when I really meant no. But drinking was always an easy out to make me forget about it. You know, I had an uncomfortable emotion, anxiety or uh, or resentment and so I drank it away. When I stopped drinking, suddenly I realized that all the times that I felt anxiety were around these times when I betrayed myself. And I think it's quite, it's so interesting, but it's also very understandable because I had a long history of betraying myself. Even the the promises I made to myself where I'm not going to drink this week, but then I would, or I'm only going to have two drinks, but then I have seven. You know, it's, it was the, it's breaking those promises over and over again. And I think not having a strong sense of self, like really didn't, I didn't feel like I had my own back or I could trust myself. That meant that I was constantly giving away my, my, uh, my, I guess, identity to others. I was putting my identity out there, hoping that others would validate it, love it, approve of it. And this really drove this um you know at first i i went to dom my my love my business partner and i said to him these are the ideas that i want to write about these are the like sort of next four books that i'm thinking about and he looked at all the topics and he was like no and i was like what do you mean no and he was like no these are not the topics that you struggle with the most and i was like what do you mean and he he said people pleasing he's like you struggle with people pleasing whenever you are on the couch biting your nails feeling anxiety it's because you're scared to say no to something that you don't want to do or someone has overstepped their mark and you don't know how to approach them about it and I was like but I don't want to talk about that I don't want to write about that he's like yeah don't you think that's a sign that you probably (laughs) should I was like yes and so you know it's it's such a funny thing because we don't like to think of ourselves of ourselves as people pleasers because it can seem like a sort of victim in a way and you know I always like to think of myself as strong and and capable and and all this kind of thing but as I started to peel back the layers and look at all the things that were included in this that people pleasing is encompassed encompasses things like uh, communication skills and conflict resolution and all these these kinds of uh skills in relating to others and also while also not betraying ourselves like very much feeling at ease with ourselves and I was thinking about feeling relaxed as well about within ourselves and in our relationships with others and I was thinking about this because I was watching reruns of Jamie Oliver you know the naked chef (laughs) type things and what struck me about them besides the yummy food was just how relaxed he was with himself he's so relaxed in his conversations with others and when I watched later um I guess episodes or, or shows that he was in and he was having conflict with school lunch uh, organizers and so on 
still, even if the other person is get, was getting really aggro, he was still so relaxed and he didn't take it on board. And I, it just struck me that I didn't know how to do that. So, um, you know, all of this is a very long way, winded way of saying <laughs> is that so this inspired me to, to really look beneath the hood and find out what was going on. Ooh. And seeing it so often within um, sexy sobriety as well with our members mm. and hearing that they were the things they struggled with how to fit in when they don't drink anymore what to say to people who who are have questions about them not drinking how to deal with really tricky uh, conversations or family situations without uh, the crutch of alcohol so much isn't it and and i guess by the way, I love the fact that Jamie Oliver is like your guru. That's like amazing. <laughs> Chill, Jamie. <laughs> I know. Bless his heart. He is awesome. But, um, you know, and, and I think the way that when you talk about all of those things, the word that pops into to my head, but we'll, we'll meander back, is, the, is boundaries. Mm-hmm. Is that word boundaries for me? And I know that I used to hate that word because I had no idea what it meant. I didn't know where I stopped and other people started. I literally didn't. And I, whenever I would approach a boundary, that's when I would often drink because I was so uncomfortable with saying no. And it was shoehorning myself into events that I didn't want to be in, staying longer at parties that I didn't want to be at, avoiding difficult feelings, avoiding difficult conversations. And those were all little red not red flags they were like flags back to me and back to what I needed and I used to drink over those and think they were because they felt uncomfortable because I was never taught I was never encouraged or actually discouraged to to go oh that's what that feeling is that's my no (laughs) oh my goodness how many years like I literally didn't know what my no was till I was in my early 40s and I was a mother right. of two by that point. I still didn't know what I know was. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, it's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. Oh. And and just yeah, that that sort of yeah. feeling like, um, you know, when people used to say to me, just tune into your intuition, like go inside, listen to what your gut's saying. And I would nod along and pretend that I knew what they were talking about, but I had no, absolutely no idea. I couldn't hear my intuition. I, I didn't even know how to tap into that. Yeah. And, you know, that I think when we have been betraying ourselves for such a long time, we don't listen to that voice within. And so then we seek approval from outside sources because we have no sense of self. We have no sort of inner self-worth and confidence and self-esteem and and self-trust and all those beautiful things. Yeah. So why don't we start? Let's, why don't we have a chat about how we have, yeah, not listened in and how that might show up. We've mentioned a few. And then maybe we could explore how we, start to do that and how that might look mm-hmm. for people yeah. um so for me I've mentioned you know not leaving a party um and I do think there's or, or yeah going along to things I mean it was so I remember you because you talk about Amy Pearson in your in your book about the people pleasers and you know trying to the, the three groups of people who we spend our time trying to convert the haters and the neutrals who are just not our people and we dull ourselves down so much don't we that our real people can't even see us and we can't we barely recognize ourselves that spoke 
volumes to me. And I, that takes me right back to the school playground, school gates, trying to fit in with the school mums. And like literally, I, I don't know, I just felt invisible. I felt absolutely invisible. And that actually was really quite painful. It was painful trying to fit in. And they would invite me to drink. They wouldn't, because my, my son has, um, is neurodiverse. He has some extra needs. So we didn't know that at the time. So it was like, we were a bit difficult, you know, so we wouldn't get invited to play dates. But yet there'd be a mum, because they'd be thinking, oh, well, Kate is good for a laugh when, you know, of an evening out. So we'll get her along for that. So I had this very, uh, almost, you know, a very clear example I suppose even though I couldn't see it at the time that my needs weren't being met I was not being supported as as a family I was not I didn't have the village around my child or me at that point and I was in a new town and yet I was shoehorning myself into their little social group mm -hmm. using wine mummy wine culture now that is now I look back I'm like holy moly that was a that was horrible um what about, you know, and so how, how has it shown up for you? Oh, my gosh. And I just want to say I'm so sorry you went you. through that. And I think that's so, such, a, such a common thing where we think, especially, you know, like, I, I just would never have questioned it before I stopped drinking. I would have been like, well, they invited me, so I should go. You know, always giving my power away to someone else, always being like, well, if they invited me, it's rude not to go. And I think what's underlying all of that is just that that for, for me, it was very much a, a need to fit in, a need to please. Yeah. And, you know, these 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 needs come up when we're children for a variety of reasons. And I think one of the reasons one of that mine came up is that I changed primary schools three times before I was 10. So it was a very effective way to fit in and find new friends. Oh, okay. The girls all wear these shoes. I'll wear these shoes. Oh, okay. The girls all like skip rope. I'll play skip rope. You know, very much a, a way to make fast friends before I change primary schools again. And yes, that was may have been a sort of a kind of effective coping mechanism in that situation as a child. But as we grow up, that pattern is so deeply ingrained or that belief that we find ourselves playing it out again and again and again. Yeah. And I found myself like I, I would never, even when I was drinking and I was invited to things, I always went. And even if I, my hangover was so bad that I had to throw up in the bathroom before I left for the event, I still went. Even I remember arriving at one and going straight to the, to the ladies when I arrived at the event and throwing up in the bathroom there and still sure. staying out because they invited me and it would be rude not to. You know, it's just the mind boggles now especially when i spent so much time worried about what others thought of me never once considering whether i liked them yes. <laughs> never once stopping to be like well are we a good match do we have common interests are they supportive in other ways or do they just like these these school mums did they just want me because it's like a fun thing like i'm a i'm the fun one but they don't want to in, uh, engage or invest in the relationship mm -hmm. or give anything back it's not a two-way street and you know that I think that it that takes it takes the the stopping drinking to be able to have the clarity to be like well hang on a second is this relationship working for both of us yes 
Yeah, so true. We don't have that clarity because like we were talking about before, you know, it's so we're so used to and often we start drinking as teenagers whilst we're developing our social skills. Mm-hmm. So so many of us will be doing that. You know, how many of us when when we discovered alcohol at 16, like it just felt like the magic elixir that made all of that difficult stuff around friendships go away so it was like okay you know so yeah I I I didn't get beyond that I was like okay that's that's what you that's what we do Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's just how how it goes yeah yes how we connect and And uh, sorry go on Oh, I was just going to say, and that's one of the biggest fears of of people to stop drinking is, but how will I fit in then if I stop? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that feeling of um, it's such a big thing, isn't it? And, um, you know, we notice in our community um, and with clients that that this how do I connect with other people is really big. And I also think there's something that happens, you know, before we go on to talking about um, you know how we how we start that process of of identifying what works and and you know connecting with others and ourselves authentically um i think when we are struggling with alcohol as well towards the end of our relationship with it um because we live in though what we call the normative drinking culture the you know where everyone drinks we even more we're looking outside when we get onto shaky ground we seek confirmation from outside, don't we? Mm-hmm. And I was, and then that gets even more confusing, and you lo- you lose even more agency in a way because mm-hmm. now I'm going, but it, I, I don't, it doesn't feel right for me. This is actually now feeling very wrong for me. However, everyone else seems to be fine. So what's wrong with me? Yes, uh, you know. And then forgetting three days later when the hangover's gone oh don't be silly because yeah we're looking outside so there's part of this I think where we're going is that okay let's stop looking outside and let's start looking in let's start asking those questions so what's the next stage of of this then where how do we we've said okay we do need to put the bottle down we do need to stop the drinking what's what's the next step Probably, you know, one of the the things that I I I think was was quite uh, a powerful in in my journey in particular was having a dedication to actually looking within, like really starting to wanting to get in touch with that intuition that everyone spoke about this magical thing that I'd never experienced. <laughs> and I think the way that, the way that we do that is, you know, for for me it started as a process of small things like incremental things it started with feeling proud of myself and I really didn't have much experience with this because I'd done a lot of things I wasn't proud of that's for sure over many many years but not a lot that I was proud of and often this was as simple as making my bed in the morning or eating some fruit instead of chocolate or just making a long-term decision well obviously making your bed's not long term but (laughs) making a decision (laughs) that, that was healthy for me it gave me this little boost where I was like, okay, I feel good about myself. I'm showing myself that I can take care of myself. Obviously, this is all, you know, sort of the self-care things that we learn in early sobriety. But also I started to boost my self-esteem. And I think the more we boost our self-esteem and we start to then think, 
okay, well, you know, what, what am I actually into? Like, how can I get to know myself? Because to know ourselves is to then be able to tune into our intuition. So, okay, you know, what do I actually enjoy? Like, there's a deep level of honesty that has to come with it, where it's not like, what did your friends say that you should enjoy? Or what mm. does society show you that you should enjoy? No, what do you actually enjoy? You know, what's, what are some things? And trying a heap of different things and building on that. I think the more that we get to know ourselves and start to tune in to what makes us feel good and what makes us not feel good, we then can approach our other relationships as more of a fully formed person. We have more of a sense of self and we're then less likely to let others steamroll us or push us into things that we don't want to because we're like, no, no, hang on a second. That doesn't work for me. We've sort of done that inner work where we've uncovered who we are, what we actually enjoy, and we can then sort of start to really change like that deep level of honesty with ourselves we can then develop that in level of honesty with others because i think there's so much sort of hiding and and masking and so on that happens when we are constantly looking for outside approval there's not a lot of honesty in the relationship there's a lot of like for me it was a lot of it felt like being a good actress Mm. or you know if i if i wanted to go really dark about it to think that perhaps I was trying to manipulate the other person into thinking I was a nice person or or to to liking me you know this I always believed that being nice made me a good person but when I started to think what if it just made me a manipulative one because I'm doing it in order to get win their approval their love their appreciation I'm not doing it to be honest with with who I am and, and what's happening in our relationship so I think that that becoming really honest with ourselves, that can then uh, sort of radiate outwards and lead to more honest relationships with others, which are then mm-hmm. infinitely more rewarding because you know they're they're real. <laughs> they're not yeah. built on they're not built on two people sort of acting a certain way. Yeah, yeah. There's so many points in there that I I wanna I wanna jump on. Um, but the things that oh, as you were talking, I was making a couple of little notes. Because I have to do that now because I'm menopausal and I forget. <laughs> excellent, <laughs> excellent. Um, but there was something about you know spotting. There's a few things spotting evidence of ourselves, noticing ourselves being showing up and looking after ourselves. So we're sort of building this case. It's like if we're lawyers. We're like yes. building our case for the fact that we're all right, aren't we? <laughs> I love no, that. no, my I was lord. Like to think of, yeah. yeah. It's like evidence. It's evidence. evidence. That, okay, I, I'm doing things. You I'm know, doing you can't okay. argue with this. Yeah. Yeah, I'm doing okay. And I've showed up and I said I was going to do that. And I did. And it is. It's like, okay. And it feels like there. I also get that sense of solid ground. I think when we when we start off, there's no solid ground. And there's something about this that's almost like stealth work. It's like, I'm trying to feel like this, but I'm going to do it in a, it it actually happens by default if I do these other things. Mm -hmm. So I can't like think my way into doing this. I can't go, right, I'm really going to get good at boundaries almost. It's (laughs) like I have to, but that will happen as an accident of me making my bed, of showing up, of it's like, oh, suddenly I've built one. I didn't even know I was building Oh, okay. I've got some solid ground. And then I've got that little transferable skill to then go, ah, I did that. So now I can do this. And that, 
doing this might be going actually I don't want to go to that thing tonight mm-hmm. and who because knew yeah sort of respect yeah yeah and you yeah you do you have more self-respect and then that feels more solid and then you yeah. can build more on that and I and I love what you said and I oh that that then the other bit of that you said about um you know what if I'm actually trying to manipulate people and when you said that I was like oh yeah that's that's a that's like okay so there's the, another part of this and I think like you said there's this, there's a self-compassion piece there's the big big dose of self-love for me again my my start with it was your course sexy sobriety sober treats it had to start outside in just like you know putting a nice colorful jumper on because I feel a bit tired or you know those little bits little bits and then it went inwards because I think if we are doing that that feels yeah how do we how do we help ourselves when some of those bits come up like you just said maybe some of the difficult truths yeah exactly and exactly like you were saying that self-compassion because Mm. you know I I loved when I was thinking about this like does it make me a manipulative person and I I liked the the sort of break there where instead of me believing that I it was something to be proud like almost proud of 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 being this nice person who was very agreeable and obedient and would always do these things suddenly I was like but what if it's not a good trait to Mm. be those things what if honesty is way better you know and then and having that compassion because I was like but I you know in the past I believed it was a way for me to connect with others I believed that's how we gained love it was very much done with a pure heart of but I want to be friends with you but I want to be liked by you you know all these kinds of things but then if I could flip that switch and be like okay but but wouldn't it be nicer and well yeah I guess nicer and and also more honest more trustworthy more um more rewarding more empowering if it was more of an honest relationship and I learned how to say no in ways that felt good wouldn't that be a much better richer life than constantly pretending that I like things just in order to win approval or love and so you know really coming back to that self-compassion of like I did the best that I could back then that's what I the skills and the tools that I had unfortunately you know the 10 year old self had created a pattern that believed that this was the the thing to do and now that I I'm uh, a woman (laughs) I can now start to look at okay how can I unlearn that what what are some behaviors that would serve me better than this constant uh trying to fit in with others yeah yeah it's like um unhooking because your core value there was being kind and and love in a sense but it was like the wrong way of getting it (laughs) so unhooking from that but going oh actually but that this is the way that, that I am more aligned with my core value 
yeah with honesty yeah isn't it kinder yeah. to be honest kind of, kind of and to you could still say, say no in a way that is that brings you closer as well and this is something mm. that I talk about a lot in the book because it's something yeah. that was so such a big learning curve for me is how to resolve conflict in the way that brings us closer together so I'm still getting what I really want and that the relationship to be closer but I'm not betraying myself in the process yes. I'm being very honest and I'm just approaching that conflict in a way that I hope you know resolves to us being closer and more understanding of each other's quirks and uniqueness yeah so let's do that then because that will be the next piece in it it's like okay so I I get the sense that now I want to say no but when I say no maybe I I'm not used to it so it's a really hard no Okay, so about finessing this skill, what what would your um what's your take? What your what are your tips for, you know, this con <laughs> conflict resolution? How do we do it? Exactly, and it's practice, right? It's practice. So mm. so what I do now is, especially if I'm having um, a conflict with a loved one, and I, you know I'm thinking about one that I had with um, a family member, and they'd done something that had really hurt me, but obviously they love me they don't want didn't want to do it on purpose and so I was instead of going in there with all guns blazing and being like you did this and you know fighting for my position as the biggest victim of you hurt me the most and so you're wrong and you know I really I think again coming back to that honesty of what do I actually want out of this conflict do I want to go in there and prove that I'm right or to 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 gain sympathy from them because it would make them feel guilty what is the honest truth of of what this confrontation will uh, achieve and instead thinking um of thinking of the, those sorts of past behaviors starting to look at okay what i want from this is for them to understand that what they did was really hurtful and that in future here's what i could do to make that situation not as difficult and here's what they could do instead um, and see if that aligns with their understanding mm -hmm. and you know the first time i did this gosh i was scared i was i was shaking i had those sort of cold pins and needles i wasn't sure if i needed to throw up or poo my pants you know i was just <laughs> like oh god what's gonna happen and i i just stumbled on my words and there was because i went in there because i'd had the foresight to not go in there with all guns blazing but because i had been like okay just go in there and this is what i really want from it i approached it in a loving way and that and they were so receptive as well and so you know it was this this process of us like coming to a new level of understanding and they were like you i'm so glad that you brought this up with me because for so long i i had never said anything and i think we believe that that means that we will be a more pleasant person to be around but often when we never bring up any grievances or any sort of hurts and things like that we come across as a very one-dimensional person we mm. don't come across as a fully formed human <laughs> in a way and mm. so you know they they were very receptive and and they we we worked out a new way of um uh, you know approaching these things going forward and i think this this coming back to this um practicing even when you feel like you're going to come out of your skin, even if you don't know what to say, the each time you practice, you get a little better at it. Mm. And in the meantime, as you're working on your self-worth, your self-respect, your self-esteem, your self-confidence, you grow in that as well. And you start to look for, I think the more you do it, the more you start to look for opportunities of 
when to do it more, like how you could do it more because you you feel that new shift in the relationship paradigm where you're like, oh, we have reached a new level of understanding. This has deepened, this conflict has deepened our relationship, not driven them away. So it's brought us closer because we have a more honest understanding of where each other is coming from. Mm -hmm. And I think once we start to sort of shift that in our mind as well as like these conflicts don't mean that the relationship will end. In most cases, they mean that you'll reach a newer level of understanding and a deeper, more richer um, relationship. Yeah. So it's like, it's so interesting, isn't it? And there's, yeah, the, the, the permission to even, yeah, bring ourselves to the table and allow that other person to bring themselves to the table. Um, and I, I, you've just reminded me of a couple of things that I've read recently and something that my children do at their school, which it was always to start with the I message. And the I message is, I'm feeling like this. So you already, you show up with how you're feeling. And then that allows the other person to say, I, I'm, you know, I'm feeling like this. So you, you both have the I message, which I really love. Um, and then something that I was reading on, I can't remember if it was Tiny Buddha, about, about this conflict and about, um, I think it was just sort of reflective listening, but it was a very um, easy sort of one, two, three about it. So to allow the other person to speak and then it's to so not to just mirror them verbatim but so they're they're you know they're saying their piece like this is my hard bit where I'm like because I never got chance to speak as a kid I'm like I'm not I'm not going to get a chance to put my point across I get really really like anxious at that point so it's like okay to stay calm and then try and in your head summarize what you think distill what the message is that they're trying to say and then say it back to them. So it's like, you know, I okay, it sounds like that's a real, that's really difficult for you in that moment when I leave all the stuff in the sink that actually really gets to you. And then that often helps to them to go, well, yeah, it's, you know, so I found that quite interesting, that quite a good little tip of, because I would do that with clients, but I wouldn't necessarily do it in my relationships. You know what I mean? I just go full like no. Well, if you don't like it, you unblood the bloody bloody sink. I'm not doing it, and, da, da, da. and then we end up in this kind of you know not very happy place. And actually, if I just took a breath and was just like, okay, no. And then, then so much of that as well comes back to I think um, once we once we uncover and start to like what's unique about ourselves and accept ourselves, yeah. I think we can have more compassion for others where for one person dishes in the sink is so is so irritating and for another person they don't even notice it you know i think that once we start to we see those um differences and we see that we're yeah. all sort of very very different we can have more compassion for each other and i love that i love the repeating the the message back to them and very much going in there with the you know i feel like this then you you're allowing room for the apology as well you're not sort of going in there and putting them on the defensive you're mm. saying you know i feel like this and, and then they can say oh okay well gosh i didn't realize yeah. it's very much a way to sort of open things up and you know often when i was at, in school 
I, I didn't have the guts to, well, actually even past school years, I didn't have the guts to approach people about these in friends or, or family members or, or anyone t about these conflicts. And so I would often write things down. And I think even that, you know, that can be a good way to practice mm -hmm. is writing down, you know, when the person does this, I feel like this, and you can get very clear then. And sometimes mm -hmm. that can help kind of having a script or at least having notes about what you're actually upset about because I, I can so relate to you there Kate about the <laughs> rushing to get through things because in in work meetings and so on I would always be the same like I, I rushing because I wasn't sure how much time I would get and I remember even when I started my um, own business and I was on a, a radio interview and I sort of rushed through it as fast as I could because I wasn't sure how long the segment was supposed to be. And afterwards, the the radio host called me and said, you know, next time we'd love to have you on again, but could you sort of tell a story like why you just quickly ran and then disappeared? And I, and I was like, oh, I wasn't sure how long the segment would be. And he was like, well, you're the guest, you know, just tell the story, however long you want it to be. And I was like, oh my God, it was such a painful lesson of like, oh my gosh, of course, you know, I'm so scared that I won't get to have my say and that's why I yeah. rushed through it so I think that practicing uh, mm. patience and being relaxed and drawing it out as well is, is another skill set <laughs> yeah yeah for sure and, and you said something really interesting about that um yeah not going in guns blade is basically if it's making me think that that deep breath and that being able to calm ourselves and feel that solid ground as we approach. So that that'll be some nervous system regulation, right? Yes. That'll be some some self talk. That'll be. I mean, there's a lot going on there, isn't there, in terms of okay, managing our state mm -hmm. to then be able to keep ourselves from being basically in a survival mode and triggering somebody else's survival mode because as soon as we do as soon as I'm angry or scared or everything I'm I'm gonna be you know in the t-rex rather yes. than my my best self my most calm self <laughs> and that will be triggering for the other person so we're, we're really trying to kind of keep ourselves yeah we're trying to keep ourselves calm aren't we yeah. and avoid avoid escalation I guess um, exactly. but what but what happens when so okay what happens when there is an escalation how would you you know not because I again I think my default mode used to be if there was an escalation I would go into kind of fawning trying to fix trying to kind of go okay if it's fine it's fine you know um, how do I do that and not abandon myself if if something has escalated I think allowing that space in there. So whether you sort of take a few slow breaths, whether you say, okay, I can see that you're getting quite upset. Like, why don't we table this? Why don't we come back to this later? And then you both walk away and you sort of have some time. Or you can even like in the beginning, if you're just trying to, to figure it out, you can pretend that your phone's gone and you just go into the bathroom for a minute, calm yourself down. I think so much of that, you know, some people as well, they, they have a pattern of, getting louder or getting more aggressive if they are confronted about anything that they don't want to, to face and even if you go in there with the, the most love and compassion in the world and so with those people I think it's very much about sort of those deep breaths allowing space like taking time for yourself mm -hmm. and remembering that it's always okay to remove yourself from 
a conflict as well. And you can come back to it later. I think part of being nice and wanting to to please others is feeling like we have to take whatever they throw at us, but we really don't. We can go walk away. And you know, this is something that I always found so fascinating when I used to watch the uh, reality shows because I mean, obviously so many of them are scripted as well, but I would watch them and so many of their reactions were so visceral. And I thought, no one's that good an actor, you know, some of this stuff's real. <laughs> and they would, the ones that would scream over each other and they'd get more and more heated and it would get more escalate and escalate. The conflict went on for weeks, you know, Ooh. it really wasn't resolved. But the ones who could just hold their ground, breathe, slow down their responses, they're the ones who actually found some resolution even if the other person was a real hothead and went right off at the beginning they, they would usually because they witnessed the 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 first person being so relaxed and calm and trying to slow things down they would then even if they threw a drink and stormed off they would come <laughs> back later and be more readily available to mm. to discuss it further or to to make amends and so you know again i think allowing space for that apology as well um and allowing space for things for them to come out of their survival mode especially if that's where they've lived for a long time they don't know how to to regulate their own nervous system you know having that compassion for them but first of all remembering that you can remove yourself you don't have to stand there and take it you can always come back to it later um when when everyone's calmed down yeah we've got a code word i love that and it is so important in in our in our household we've got a code word called drop the rope and it's like okay this is going up we all need to drop the rope and we need to, because it's like a tug of war, isn't it? Oh, drop yes. the rope, walk off, we'll come back later. And it's been essential. Um, so I love that. I, I think that's so important because I think all the, it's almost like if, for me, my biggest tool in terms of then doing something, default behavior, trying to fix, trying to people please, giving too much in a situation always happens once I've, I've become stressed I've, I've kind of I've gone into that and for me just buying some time and my son is very good at the drama and he gets more pocket money when he's managed to create drama because everyone's like oh um, so you know it's like he's a master of pushing the buttons and my power statement and I think this was probably my second year of sobriety was I don't know. And I often say that now because actually I often don't know what the right thing is because it really takes me a long time to process what I might need, what this is. And I just need a bit of time to think about it. And once I sort of said, I don't know, I'll need to think about it. And then I walk off. That has proved that's such a big, a useful boundary for me and the tool as a people pleaser. Yeah, I love that so much because there are some people who are great at thinking on their feet, mm. who can come up with solutions, bang, 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 bang. I am not one of them. No. <laughs> I'm the same, so I completely relate, Kate. I need to like walk away. I need to have time to think about things and to, to figure out what I actually feel about it, what was upsetting me about it, really digging deep into the, the conflict and why it's happening. So, you know, I think also allowing that space for others and 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 i love that that's a self-protection mechanism it's it's sort of saying i'm coming back to this later but just let me think about it it's creating 
a lot of respect in the relationship as well, because then they have to respect that you're not going to react in that second, mm. that they can't expect to just come to you and have you fix or have you react on their whim that you yes. you need time to think about it. And so you're creating that boundary in that relationship as well, where you're like, no, this is not how I, I process things. This is how I work. So mm. I, I love you, but I need that time to think. Yeah. And, you know, when we're saying it like now, I love it because we're having a really calm chat about it. It does make sense, doesn't it? It's like, ah, it's just in that moment being able to go. It's almost like, yeah, power of the pause, put the brake on. Then we can then we got a chance to sort all the shit out. Think through it logically. It's, it's that definitely that pausing before reacting. And you know, one story I tell in the book was where I, I was working with a, a workmate, and he was a good friend for a long time, and he was behaving um really in a terrible way. And he kept it going, he kept it going, and I didn't say anything because I wanted to be nice, I wanted to be a people pleaser, I didn't want conflict, I didn't want to say anything until it got to a point where it was so bad that I stood up and just yelled at him. I roared across this open plan office floor and look like a complete you know <laughs> nutcase in the meantime and it's like like I wouldn't have got to that point if I had have said something sooner yeah. so you know I, th I think we we sometimes let these things fester until the point where we do react in a way that we're not proud of yeah. so you know building that self-esteem muscle as well when we approach these conversations early and we practice and we we try and get better at them that again builds that self-esteem muscle which then comes back to making us feel more confident to try it the next time like it's a beautiful cycle that keeps perpetuating itself yeah totally the the virtuous the virtuous circle isn't it or the virtuous spiral mm. upwards rather than a than that that horrible downward spiral of not doing and um I was just wondering because I was thinking about <clears throat> putting you on the spot <laughs> and to do a bit like a before and after or like so to give you a scenario and you give me the kind of people pleasing answer and then the the the, the one with the boundary the recovering people pleaser answer mm -hmm. so so that that people listening in could say oh okay that's something, but this is what I could do instead, right? So, okay, so something about, um, yeah, a family member asks you to do something that you haven't really got time to do, but you've been, you know, you've been used to doing it, and this is might be the first time you just say you, you can't. So what would you have done in the past, and then how would you have felt, and then what would you do now? Yes, so in the past, I would have always said yes, no matter what was happening in my life, no matter if I didn't have time or the resources or the ability, I would always say yes. And then I would feel resentment. This resentment would bubble up where I would then moan about the person who had made the request. I would feel just like I didn't even want to see them. And often I would I would go through with the request. I would do it but so begrudgingly. There was so much negative energy tied up with it. And I would then see them to, to show them that, okay, I completed the task that you wanted me to and try and emanate that that resentment towards them without saying anything you know just this body language or this shutting down or this sort of you know scowl on my face very much the the behavior of a child when I think back now because I didn't want I wanted them to read my mind I wanted them to know that I was pissed and they had done this thing that had really put me out 
but of course they don't people can't read our minds they have no idea they think oh she said yes so she's happy to do it so now the the the, the way that i would um behave or the way that I do behave is to say to them oh look you know first of all one of the things I like to do is to say um, a time period so I can say oh sure yeah I can help you move house but only between two and four on Sunday because otherwise you know you can get there and then you can stay and you can feel resentful and I I like to be prepared like I like to know you know what's happening beforehand so if I say that then I'm not going to be you know there or waiting for them at 10 p.m at night or, or so on so I sort of set that boundary or um, I'll say to them, oh, I'm really sorry that like, this week is swamped. I'm not able to do it. Um, perhaps you could seek help from this removalist company or this one. Like often I like to show resources as well. So you're still being helpful. You're just sort of saying, well, I can't do it, unfortunately. But here's some others who might be able to. Obviously not passing the buck to other people in the family. <laughs> but instead yeah. like recommending some professionals they could hire and so on. Um, or, you know, I, I could say to them that, um, that you know, unfortunately, I, I can't help, you know, basically just being very honest now. I think I wasn't honest before. I would just want them to read my mind and I would really shut down. And after I performed the task for them, I would then avoid them and not pick up their calls and stuff because I was still simmering in resentment and rage and wanting them to know that they had upset me and yeah. instead they're just like oh she runs hot and cold you know how do they understand what's happening with me if i'm not honest so even now when my voice shakes when i'm scared witless when i'm not sure like how they will react i still keep working on that being honest you know just mm -hmm. practicing what to say going in there and I think that what we were talking about before as well of like creating that time as well to think about it. Mm. Often people call and I always used to hate when they would call and say, can I ask you a favor? Because I was always people please and I wouldn't know how to say no. So of course I hated the question, but it wasn't their issue. It was mine. It was mm. that I didn't know how to say no in a loving way. And I didn't know how to say, oh, let me think about that. Or let me check my calendar and get back to you so that I had time to think about, was it convenient to me? Did I have the ability to do it this week? Is there a time period that would be handy for me? Or if they wanted me to pick something up, could I do it in conjunction with another chore that would make it more easy for me? You know, that giving myself that time and space to consider what my response will be <clears throat> instead of being put on the spot simply because it was their choice you know what's that saying that they say something like someone else's emergency um or someone else's urgency does not create my emergency something yes. like that where it's like okay just because they've decided that it's urgent for them doesn't mean i need to drop everything in my life to to um to accommodate to be helpful yeah the sort of the it's the curse of the the, the being helpful <laughs> isn't it it's such a heavy yes. weight and it is it's so important that like actually often the things that come up and stress us out and are urgent are because somebody else has said they're urgent rather than they're important to us obviously there's some real life stuff in there sometimes there are there's work and blah, blah, blah. but it's interesting how much we could buy ourselves time actually what about if this you know sometimes we hear like you know if this kind of toxic family members say or old relationships where you know people have been benefiting from us not having those boundaries you know and can give us a really hard time because we do come up with people from people like that don't we how can we then so if we've said actually i really can't because and they and they you know 
try to make us feel bad, you know, throw the toys out of the cot, give us the silent treatment. You know, if, if some of those behaviours that can be tricky kind of go or painful come up, what, what then? I think one of the, the the most powerful things is to have some sort of mantra where you are reminding yourself that their reaction belongs to them, mm-hmm. that it doesn't matter how they react. All that matters is like how we respond, um, that we only have control over ourselves, not over how someone else responds to it. And often the people who did benefit from us having no boundaries are the ones who will act up when we first start enforcing them or communicating them. And that's okay. Just remember that their their reaction is their own. They need to um, feel proud of themselves in the way that they respond, just the same as we need to feel proud of ourselves. So again, like walking away while they behave like that and say, or repeating, like I often repeat the boundary as well, again, to be like, oh, I can see you're upset about it, but I must, you know, I, I actually can't come over every Friday night or something like that. Um, and reinforcing it and then allowing space so like taking yourself away while they calm down and and sort of have their reaction (laughs) to to your to your boundary and then coming back together later like just thinking that okay they they might be responding um in a way that served them in the past that was their sort of behavior of like expecting others to be at their beck and call and now they need to learn that that's not always the case. So I guess, again, allowing that compassion for them to have their own learning experience within the conflict as well. I love that. And I remember that, you know, when we so when we stop drinking, we can and we're trying to tell people. Uh, I always remember you saying and I, I can't remember when when it was, but you sort of said, you know, compassion for self because change is hard and compassion for them because change is hard. And that's such a beautiful because, you know, as soon as you've got that kind of slightly, you can breathe a little bit more. Again, it's it's that we all it's almost that we're all doing the best we can. Yeah, exactly. Other things trigger things and this, that and the other. And it's just like, okay, if we can just take, yeah, take it, take a breath and and yeah, look after ourselves. And I love what you said about their reactions are theirs and all we can control is our own reactions and how I don't think we've really taught that as oh god I could speak to you all day I've just noticed that thing is you know when we're carers and as women we're often not there's a gender piece that we're not encouraged to do that so that can feel even more tricky and I I just say that, you know, I know if you have families with extra needs in them, that sort of those boundaries can feel really skewed sometimes. And the need to sort of sometimes get external help, whether you have somebody to talk to that is not part of the family system or, you know, you get, um, you know, the specialist, some charity support or something like that. When boundaries are really tricky for other reasons, um often I find it's about broadening the base as well just anything that takes the sort of intensity out of it almost exactly Um, like whether it's mediation whether it's having another person weigh in if you can't get to that sort of resolution or if it it is there are so many complicated factors where that boundary is is skewed mm -hmm. yeah I love that just sort of 
expanding you know again in a way that's sort of making space but in a different way sort of making space yeah. for more more um more opinions or more um sort of more of a way in from others as well yeah yeah and I, and I know I was thinking even like our sober communities you know we're having that appropriate support to mirror back our good choices to mirror back the strengths the evidence mm -hmm. so that that again like you you know that's all part of the, the building that solid ground isn't it that we were talking mm -hmm. about early on the evidence and the the, the capacity and the strength to be able to hold our hold our boundaries and look after ourselves um, exactly that confidence it takes mm. it takes a lot of work to build that and we do it by just one little tiny building block at a time by making our bed by doing something that that is good for us and yeah. the more we sort of build that and then having these difficult conversations the more we feel confident the more we feel self-worth and ultimately the happier we are because we fully accept and love ourselves as a result yeah oh thank you so much Bex it's been amazing to speak to you it's been so good thank you so much yeah and I and I do I love I love your books I love chameleon and I just think it's it feels timely for me 100 percent um and I do think it is that, like you say, the, you know, the, the, the layers of the onion that underneath so much of our drinking was this, was this subject, yes. um, you know, how we love ourselves, how we connect with others and how we do that without sacrificing without. And I remember it just to finish your little forward, you said for, for anyone who has abandoned themselves. I wish you the magic and joy of finding your way back to yourself. And that for me is what sobriety in this journey is. Mm -hmm. And I think you've summed it up so beautifully. Oh, thank you so much. So thank you, Bex. Um, if you're immediately concerned about your drinking, just re do reach out, send up a flare to us, info at lovesober.com. Soberistas has the anonymous Ask the uh, Doctor service. You can find Bex at... SexySobriety.com sexy mm -hmm. and yeah, just sort of send to the fleff, find where your where your fit is as well. Lots of sober communities out there now. Um, stay safe and we'll see you next week for more chat. Bye.